0: I might break out and continue a little bit so just be careful. Uh, the story that I want to tell you is not the story of my career. Uh, my career is over the past 30 years both in business uh, and in the church as organizational leader but I'm not going to bore you with that story uh, nor am I going to tell you the story of my family. Uh, I have been married to my best friend for 37 years. Uh, and we have three boys that we survived, 31, 29, and 25. Uh, but that, that story is probably not, uh, appropriate this morning. Uh, this morning I want to tell you my story of freedom. But if I, if I tell you my story of freedom, I need to start with my story of bondage. My story of bondage begins somewhere in around 1890, when my grandmother was born. On the day she was born in rural Arkansas, her mother died. Within a couple of months, her dad had died too. And I don't know the story completely, But no one in the family adopted her. And so, several months old, no one adopting her. She was put in a rural Arkansas orphanage. And I can't tell you what happened. No one in the family would talk about it. Certainly she would not talk about it. But over the course of the next 16 years, uh, her spirit and soul were damaged in ways that I can't even begin to comprehend. The reason I know that is because of the way she treated other people, the way she treated my dad and my mother. Even this morning, uh, I had not thought of this in years, but as I was preparing to share the story, I remembered that uh, she called my mother a dog. Uh, My mother was married and divorced before she married my dad. And she had great difficulty having children. I was not born until they were in their late thirties. My grandmother was a mean, manipulative person. She ruled by abuse and humiliation and shame. It was though somehow in that orphanage when she was growing up that her arms had been amputated because she had no capacity to love other people. So in 1916, my dad was born, and within a short amount of time, his arms were amputated. All that I had experienced he had experienced firsthand uh, growing up in her family. In fact, again, my dad would not talk about growing up with her. Uh, But what I do know is that both he and his older sister moved away, just ran away from home as early as they possibly could in order to get out of that very negative environment. I was born in 1954, and by the time I was in elementary school, my arms had been amputated. My dad treated me the way he had been treated. And so shame and humiliation were the order of the day as he raised me. Uh, You know, the old adage is, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's a lie. Uh, Sticks and stones can hurt, and his belt on my bare flesh hurt a lot. But even worse was the shame and humiliation he used uh, as he raised me. A critical spirit. Nothing was ever right. Uh, He was a surgeon by trade. And when he came home, he just barked orders at us as though we were his surgical assistants. John 10.10 says, The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's a true statement. John 8.44 says, He was a murderer, talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of all. Some of you might have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. It came out about 10 years ago. The very beginning of the movie begins with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is on his knees. He is weeping. He is tormented because he knows he is about to be separated from his father who he's never been separated from. He knows he's about to be crucified and go through an incredible Pain and suffering. And he is just pleading with God. If there is any way that this process can be removed. And he doesn't have to go through with it. He's just pleading with the Father for that. And standing right beside him. And then kneeling down. And whispering in his ear is Satan. And Satan just kind of leans over. Whispers in his ear and says... Who's your daddy? Who are you? Well, I can now tell you with great confidence that when my dad was abusing me at an early age, Satan was leaning over and whispering in my ear, Your father is no good. Your heavenly father apparently does not love you and he's not good. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given you the dad he gave you. And I don't think he whispered that once. I think he whispered that over and over and over again. And so I began to internalize that lie that God is no good. And that I'm not any good either. I just began to believe that uh, in a very deep, place, and that father wound compelled me to begin to look for love and comfort in other things around me. In fact, there is a tremendous book by uh, John Eldridge and Brent Curtis called Sacred Romance. And in that book, he talks about the message of the arrow. The arrow is the wound that we feel because of life. The message of the arrow is the message of Satan. As he deceives us through the pain that we're experiencing, he feeds us lies and we begin to believe things that are not true. And so then we begin to look, as Curtis and Elders say, for less wild lovers. We look for comfort in things around us. That's how I started looking at seven years old, there are not that many things that provide you with comfort, but there was one thing that seemed to me to be a possibility. My dad was uh, an exceptional golfer. And so at seven years old, he was fully endorsing. I just, I began to pursue golf, uh, and, and that's really all I did. I was very myopic. I was very single-minded. Uh, in the summer times, I remember he would drop me off. On his way to work and pick me up on his way home and just hour after hour I would play golf. And I got better and better and I started doing well in tournaments and I was thinking that somehow either I could get my dad to love me because I was a good player like he was, uh, or that maybe other people would admire me because I certainly did, was aware of the fact that people looked up to, to sports figures and people who were good in athletics. So I kept practicing. Uh, by the time I was 13, I was shooting about par. By the time I was 16, I was in the top 50 in the state of Texas. But it did not comfort me. It did not satisfy the hunger for love that was down deep inside. Unfortunately, when I was 13, I found a more powerful source of comfort as was pornography. 1967, I cannot tell you what my parents must have been thinking to let me have a subscription to Playboy when I was 13 years old. But they did. I figured that they, you know, I guess that's just what they thought guys are about. And so at 13, a constant diet of pornography was a strategy to comfort myself. Fantasy as a way to Feel good about myself and to feel love that I wasn't receiving from my earthly dad. Uh, The destruction of that was immense. Uh, One that I have, you know, been processing and dealing with uh, for most of my life. Well, then 1971 came along and I met Jesus. September 1st, 1971. It was a Friday. I went on a retreat with a buddy. It was his church. They were going to East Texas for the weekend. sounded like a better deal than staying home, and so I signed up, went, and uh, had a life changing experience. On that Sunday morning, we were doing a communion service, and there was a cross in the middle of the room made of styrofoam. And what we were supposed to do is take these little index cards and write our sins on them. And take them up and pin them in the cross, and I did so. Uh, and the story was sh- was shared with me, and for the first time, I got, it. I-, I suddenly understood that Jesus had died for my sins. and In the middle of taking communion, uh, I just prayed that that Jesus would restore me and-, and come upon my life. And I remember the Holy Spirit just just chilling me to the bone. And the realization was from that moment forward that God would always love me. He did love me already, but I knew it, and I could walk in it. uh, It it was truly life-changing. Every single day since that day, I've had a clear sense uh, of Jesus as my personal Savior. Unfortunately, those lies about my earthly death we're still there. I had incredible peace, and I knew that my sins were forgiven. I was no longer a prisoner of the things that I had done wrong. Everything was washed away, and I was, I was sparkling clean. But I was still a captive of the enemy. And that's a really important distinction. A prisoner is someone who is guilty of a sin, a captive is someone who has been captured by someone else. And I had been captured by the lies that the enemy had sown in me and cultivated over many years. You see, see, at that point, I was still believing, even though I loved Jesus. He was awesome. He was my Savior. I could relate to Him. I could see Him. I could read the Gospels. Uh, and so appreciate the life he lived, and I wanted to be just like him. But my earthly father, that was a different deal. If you'd asked me, probably during that time, I would say, sure, and, you know, God loves me. My father. But I, I did not experience that deeply. Uh, that wasn't my experience. Within several months, I had thrown away my pornography. I began to spend time with Jesus on a daily basis. I began to have fellowship with people, worship on a regular basis. I began to serve in the youth group that I was a part of and got involved with young life uh, at my high school. But the hunger for evil was still there. It, it had not gone away. I feel, I still felt it and was tempted by things around me in my world. Romans 7, verses 18 through 20 captures that season, and actually, for a, a very long time, it described how I felt. Would you read that with me?
1: For I know that good itself does not dwell in me.
0: That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if you do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Can anybody relate to that? Yes. Wow. I mean, I'm not talking about this passage describing me for a couple of weeks, or a couple of months. We're talking approximately 35 years. Again, every single day, I would ask Jesus to forgive me. And he was so faithful. And he's still faithful. And I still sin. But the hunger that I had inside of me, for sexual sin was still there. I was I was walking out of it. I wasn't in pornography. But I still had an appetite for sin. I wasn't hungering for intimacy with God in that area. And no one could help me. I had accountability brothers. I was memorizing scripture. I had just all kinds of things to assist me in this process, but nothing, no one could tell me how to do away with this appetite for sin. No one could explain that to me. And then in the 1980s, you know, kind of midway in these multiple decades of challenges, in the 1980s the internet came along. Holy mackerel. That that was just a whole new level of temptation. And what destruction. What incredible destruction. Satan has used the internet in our culture and our lives. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit uses it for good, but it was just a brand new ballgame. And I was thankful when protective software came along to protect me from the temptations that were right there in front of me. Well, these, these 39 years of this discipleship journey just kind of gradually unfolded, um, Every single day, I would ask Jesus to forgive me. It was sort of like I was mowing the grass, mowing the weeds, but I couldn't pull the weeds out. I couldn't do away with the weeds, but I could at least keep them under control. And so I sought to do that. And then in 2007, not long ago, two things happened. The first thing that happened was my dad passed away. And I grieved for about ten minutes, figured it was done. We buried him, dealt with the estate issues, and moved on. The other thing that happened was my old son uh, felt called to go to Iraq for a year with a group of people from this crazy church in Waco, Texas, <laughs> called Antioch Community Church. Anybody ever heard of that? <laughs> yeah, a couple of That was a trip. And so he heads out overseas. Uh, has an amazing experience with a group of about 25 in northern Iraq ministering to the Kurds. He had some uh, amazing stories to tell us, and then he went to the training school in Waco and began going through their discipleship training school. As he went through the training school, I went through the training school. I read all the books, uh, and I still remember uh, a couple of verses. I was reading Joy Dawson's book, about intimacy with God, and these two verses just jumped off at me. Proverbs 8.13 To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hated a lot of evil. You know, I've been a, a believer for 39 years, and well, at that point, a little less than that, 35 years, but... You know, I knew there were some places in my life where I did not hate evil. I love my comfort food. And in Psalm eighty six, eleven, another verse she emphasized, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might hear your name. Give me an undivided heart that I might hear your name. Also, I guess I don't have an undivided heart. So, I mean, I started praying that prayer like crazy, uh, and Jesus started getting me up about four in the morning. There was a season there, probably better part of the year, where I had two to three hour quiet times. Uh, it was just an incredible revival as I was reading these books, praying and just begging God to, to have this addiction in my heart broken. Ultimately, Mary Lou and I visited Charles while he was in the training school. We went to Wake Up. And amazingly, Mary Lou said something that she never kind of thing that she never said. She said, Hey, let's move. (laughs) Mary Lou, Mary Lou has not said that. I've always said, Hey, let's let's go to the next leg of the journey. But she said, Hey, we ought to go to the training school. And I said, I'm all in. And so we began the process over the course of the next two years to uh, pack up our our life. We had to uh, get our youngest son out of college. Uh, I left my work. We uh, rented our house. We gave away a bunch of our stuff, and we moved to Waco, Texas, and we landed there July 1st of 2010, the same day a tropical storm was going through Waco. That was a blast, (laughs) unloading in a tropical storm. (laughs) About a month later, Uh, We are doing some prerequisites for the training school, and one of them was going through uh, the seven steps to freedom. And so a gentleman by the name of Rick Buescher was helping me through this prayer process where you just examine your life and deal with any issues that are outstanding. Uh, Obviously, I knew that I had those issues and Came clean with Rick, as I've done with lots of people over the course of my my time following Jesus. Anyway, Rick had a specific style and approach and understanding that he explained to me about lies. And he began to unpack for me um, the relationship between lies and believing lies and Satan's control in my life. And so, after just a brief explanation, he said... Well, let's begin a prayer process. I will ask a question, and then I want you to just repeat after me and ask that question to your Heavenly Father, and whatever you hear, just just say it out loud. And so his first question was, Father, in regards to sexual sin, what lie am I believing? So, so that's what I did. I just prayed. Father, in regards to sexual sin, what lie am I believing? Charlie, you're believing that I'm not good. I just heard it so clear. I have never said that in my life. Never had that realization. But the Father knew exactly what was blocking me from experiencing, experiencing a the of life. So then Rick said, when did I start to believe that lie? And so I said, Father, when did I start to believe that lie? He said, when your dad was beating you. Wow. Father, have I fully forgiven my earthly father for his abuse? Absolutely not. And so Rick guided me through a process, and I let go. First time at that point, I'm 55 years old, I finally let go of my bitterness and my anger. Just dropped it. Then we started to deal with the lies. We dealt with the lie that God is not good. That's not true. Psalm 107.1 Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 32.8 Taste and see that the Lord is good. All those years I have believed a lie. I wouldn't have told you that. I didn't understand that. It was down so deep in my soul and my spirit, I just couldn't get a hold of it. And to this day, I, my only thought is that my dad had to die before I could let go of it. I'm not sure. You know, I've been to seminary, I've studied the word constantly for uh, now 41 years, but it was so deep in my soul, so deep in my spirit, it was hard to let go of. So, now that I've recognized that, Jesus, I repent. I repent. Father, I repent that I have believed that that you are no good. Forgive me. And now I need to renounce that lie. I renounce the lie that God is not good. I renounce the lie that my Heavenly Father doesn't love me. I renounce the lie. And I break off any Partnership, any relationship that I have had with Satan. And I, I prayed their prayer, and life has not been the same since. Because at that point, right at that moment, I broke my partnership with Satan, because when we believe lies, we lock arms with Satan. We agree with Satan, and we give Satan permission To have power in our lives in that place. And so after years of captivity, I severed my relationship with Satan in that area. And we dealt with several other issues. And I've dealt with a lot of issues since then. It's actually a fantastic question. Father, am I believing any lies? He doesn't tell them all at once, thank the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so I've repented, I've recognized the lie, I've repented, I've renounced. Now I need to receive. Jesus, what do you have in exchange for the lie? He said, freedom, like you've never experienced it. I didn't realize that until the next morning. I woke up the next morning. And the world was just completely different, completely different. The hunger, that appetite for evil, it's gone. My appetite was for my father, my heavenly father. My appetite was for good. My appetite was for freedom. My appetite was for all the good things that God had in store for me. And then I rejoiced, obviously. I recognized, I repented, I renounced, I received, and then I rejoiced. That was my pathway to freedom. That was my pathway to break the addiction inside of me. That was the pathway to fully experience all that God had for me. Well, I I had two responses to what I had just experienced. One, obviously, was that I was incredibly happy. I was incredibly joyous. Uh, it was an amazing experience for me. But then I was mad. Why had someone not explained this to me?
1: I, I had read the Bible. I had
0: been to, you know, I'd read all these books. I had pursued God for so many years. How is it that I could have possibly missed this truth and this understanding. that the church and the denomination that I grew up in uh, doesn't take Satan as seriously as they should. And so no one could explain that to me and I didn't read anything that could help me. I think also as I shared a few minutes ago, I think that my dad had to die in order for me to process and get to a place where I could forgive him and then deal with the reality of that lie. But whatever, I'm 58 now, uh, I'm walking in freedom, uh, and moving forward. I, I want to tell you a couple more stories as I wrap up. One is, uh, I was in the training school, obviously. Uh, that, that experience that I just told you was, was, was on August 10th and 17th of 2010. In September, of that year. I started in the training school with Marie Lou, and one of the horrible videos that they showed us was something called, (laughs) The Father, Heart of God. (laughs) Anybody in this room seen that? Okay. It's brutal. Uh, Especially given the background that I just shared with you. It's about 90 minutes long. We didn't watch it all in one day, thank the Lord. They broke it up into pieces, and the second day, I was watching it, and Uh, afterwards we had a ministry time and so all of us were just praying and journaling and all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had no recollection ever of my dad playing with me I had never I could not remember him throwing a baseball with me that was what really stood out baseball I had never thrown a football with him I had never I don't remember ever sitting in his lap I never remember him playing with me I never remember any situation, an instance, where he was just with me playing something other than golf. He did play golf with me, that was his deal, and it was my deal, but, again, never, I had no recollection ever of that, and that just crushed me as I remembered that, and and was just processing that, and I I was at the front of this worship space, and I was just crying, And just pouring out to God and just so devastated by the reality of having never played with my earthly dad. And then I heard a voice, my father's voice. And he said, you want to play the baseball? It is incredible. Some of you might have seen the movie Field of Dreams. At the end of Field of Dreams, Ray Kinsella is on a beautiful baseball diamond in a pile. and he's throwing with his head. And kind of the slogan of the phrase there is ease his pain. Well, my pain was eased as I threw with my Heavenly Father that day. It was an amazing, redemptive experience. One additional story regarding baseball. About a year and a half later, uh, I was at a Texas Rangers game, sitting on the third base line. Uh, it was in the spring of 2012. Uh, we were playing Seattle Mariners, and so Josh Hamilton was up to bat. Josh is a person who has battled addictions as well, uh, and is a believer. So he's up to bat as a left-handed hitter. And he fouls the ball off, and the ball just kind of starts coming toward me, but pretty quickly I can tell that I've a shot at it, that it's going to be, you know, maybe five rows back, so I don't even stand up. But I'm curious to kind of watch it. And so I watch the ball go over, and the guy, several rows back, you know, catches it right on his, you know, in the bottom of his hand. He can't catch it. And it bounces and it comes right to me. All I do is just stick out my hands and there's a the ball. And Murray good leans over and says, well I guess your Heavenly Father wants to play ball. That's my story of freedom. So here's uh, here's a few punch lines for you. You're never too old to experience more freedom. Keep praying for your parents. When I was fifty five years old. Keep praying that they will experience the fullness of God. Number two, since the day you were born, Satan has had you in his crosshairs. He would love and does enjoy when he heals, steals, and destroys you in any way. They'll never take that for granted. Third, when you choose to partner with the enemy, when you agree with the lie of Satan, you give him power in your life. That's not a good thing. Assess your freedom and your joy. Fourth, to uncover and remove these lies, just ask your Heavenly Father, just ask Jesus, just ask the Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what lie am I believing? That will help you recognize what's going on. When did I start believing that? That enables you to then to repent and renounce, receive all these good things, and to rejoice in that freedom. That's my story. I hope that um, there's something there that will be helpful to you. Amen. Thank yeah.